Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first generation when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. Hi, guys. Happy Advent. It's just the most wonderful time of the year. Um, I know I say that every week and every time I say hi to anyone, I say that during December because it is, it really is. My name is Fabs. Um, I'm on staff here at The Vine, and I'm so happy to get to teach this morning because Advent is just my favorite in case I buried that lead. Um, I love this idea of God with us. It's one of the, the truths that has, I think, changed me most profoundly. And last week, Mark started us off in this series by, by talking about this verse in Hebrews that I just love, the idea that we don't have a great high priest who's unable to understand what it's, it's like down here, but we have one who's been tempted in every way. Um, and I love the translation we have up here, if you can throw it up in the message, so great of this verse. And it says, we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all. Jesus has experienced it all. And the verse goes on to say, and because of that, we can be confident to draw near, knowing that we're going to find grace and mercy to help in time of trouble. Advent offers to us this like gift of a God who understands its intimacy and its connection. I don't know if you've ever had that um, feeling where you're like at a party or you're meeting with someone for coffee and you hear someone sharing something about their story or telling you something they're going through and they say something that just resonates really deeply and you have this moment of like instant connection where you're like, oh my gosh, I've been through that exact same thing. And their story may be a little bit different, their circumstances may be different, but there's something in that moment, it just feels like this automatic connection. I have a couple of moments like that, but I have one specifically that I remember. Um, an old job I was at, our staff went out to dinner, and we were all sitting around this giant table at Papacitos, and I remember exactly where I was sitting. And this girl was sitting right here next to me, and I didn't know her that well. Um, we'd been on staff together for a few months, but we hadn't really connected. And she started sharing something that she was processing about her life. And her circumstances were really different from mine, but some of the words she used and the way she described it, it was like an instant feeling of oh my gosh, she knows exactly how I feel. And it was a sensation that I'd felt very isolated in. I'd felt very alone in. And in that moment, I felt this instant connectivity that made me want to draw near, and I expected to find grace and mercy from her because she knew what it felt like, right? And I, I did want to draw near to get tips and tricks on how to like, navigate life, but that's not the feeling I'm describing right now. I'm, I'm describing that sensation of like instant connection, and this immediate intimacy and this feeling of I'm, I'm not the only one. I hope that you guys can all think of a moment like that. I think there's something so profound for us as humans about the experience of someone mirroring back to us like something that we've been through, right? I don't know, little child development nerd moment for me, but in your first few months of life, so much is happening and your brain is building kind of like this architecture 
for how you're gonna see so many things moving forward. Don't worry, you can go to therapy later and like rewire it. But in those first few months, so many things are happening that your caregiver kind of does almost instinctively, and, and part of it is this mirroring thing I'm describing. So if I was to pass a newborn baby around the room, don't worry, I'm not gonna do that. But if I, if I was, we would see this phenomenon happen. We would see people respond with what we call in, in child development psychology, mirroring and marking. And I have a, I'm not gonna imitate it because that would embarrass myself, but I'm, I have a video of it we're gonna watch really fast. Like, have you ever wondered why we make weird, stupid noises when we talk to newborns and why we, like, imitate their faces? Okay, thanks, Peyton, that's good. It's the weirdest thing that humans do that we've all just accepted. <laughs> when you talk to a newborn baby, you can just make sounds and faces. But what we're seeing in this video is actually like a really important, essential phenomenon. It's called mirroring and marking. Two different things are happening. Mirroring is that instinctive thing we do when we imitate what a newborn baby is, is the expression they're making, the feeling they're having. And it's more than just like an external reflection. The caregiver, the, the mother in that moment, is kind of getting inside the baby's head and reflecting back to them what you're, they're experiencing. And then they do this thing almost instantly called marking, which is where they explain that sensation. So you have the mom kind of like, ooh, and then if the baby's sad, oh, you're sad, and then she explains it, you're sad. Are you hungry? You're hungry. She's kind of explaining this sensation that's happening. She's mirroring the experience, letting the, the baby know, first of all, that what it's feeling, someone else has felt before. Someone else understands that sensation, and then she's marking. She's telling that baby, I'm outside of that experience. What you're feeling is not what the whole universe is made up of. There's a moment coming where you won't feel it anymore and I'm explaining to you what that sensation is. So mirroring is when a caregiver matches or mirrors back to the baby the experience they're having. Okay, and marking is when the caregiver demonstrates understanding of the infant's internal state while concurrently signaling that they are not experiencing the same state themselves. So it's this thing we instinctively do where we say words like, you're hungry, you're tired. We're explaining to them this experience. And it accomplishes two things for a baby. The mirroring helps the baby learn that they're not alone. That feeling you're having, you're not the only one in the universe who's ever felt that. Someone else has felt that. You're not feeling it because you're broken. You're not feeling it because there's something wrong with you. We've all had this feeling, right? And the marking, it helps the baby learn that there's something beyond the experience. This feeling isn't going to last forever. And there's someone outside of it who can help guide you through it, who can help provide for you in it, okay, who's not also caught up in it. When I was learning about this, it struck me that most of my relationship with God, I've been taught of God as my caregiver, as a marking God, as a God who soothes me. He comes along beside me in my sadness and my sorrow. He moves really close to me. He can explain to me what I'm feeling. He makes meaning out of it. He tells me things like, don't be anxious. I'm right here. You're not alone. We're going to get through this. I'll never leave you. But I hadn't experienced, for me, a lot of training or teaching or, or even the sensation for me with my relationship with God of this mirroring, this being in it with you, right? And that's what Advent is. It's this mirroring God, this caregiver who knows what it feels like, who takes a second to mirror back to you that he's had the same experience that you're having. So each day for our Advent, just like Mark shared, we've been going through these emails. And 
we've taken like a different human experience, tried to divide them up. You have a lot of experiences as a human. But we've tried to take one each day and look at Jesus' life and practice hearing from Jesus what it felt like to have that experience. Right? We practice having that like Papacito's moment where Jesus shares his story and you just sit there and listen and you feel this intimacy and this connection. Not Jesus telling you then what to go do with it, not the application part, just the mirroring sensation. That's what we've been doing. And today, if you got the email, today's email was about being needy, the human sensation of being needy. Okay, so that's what I'm gonna teach through this morning, being needy. And for me, there's two kind of parts that go into being needy. There's being needy, right? Feels like the whole thing. But then there's the feeling needy. You know what I mean? So you've got being needy, like everybody in here as a human, you have the experience of being needy. You need air to breathe. You need food to, to live. You need sleep to function, right? You are needy. It's part of your design. And then you have this other human sensation that happens. It's the sensation of feeling needy, right? And I was trying to think through how to describe that. I know what it feels like. You probably all do too. You've all felt it. But I think it's kind of like when you have this need, you're aware of it. You're having the sensation of neediness. And you need someone else or something outside of yourself. You're dependent. You're vulnerable. You can't meet the need for yourself. And there's this gap between you and that thing. There's a gap between you and getting your need met. And in that gap, you feel needy. Right? You feel graspy and panicky. You have this overwhelming sensation. I need something. And I don't know how to get it for myself. And I want you to think for a second, when was the last time you felt needy? Just try to like get it in your head. Maybe it was like asking someone to help with your emotional needs, or you needed money for something. It might be hard to think of, because I, I noticed when I was preparing this that in America we've set up a system so that you can be needy without ever needing to feel needy, right? You're hungry, you need food to live, but don't ever feel that. You can eat any moment you want. You can, I often pay someone to deliver food to my house. Like, I can control the function of eating. I can get food instantaneously anytime I want. And almost there's this panic in the moments I can't. When the sensation of hunger happens, it's like, oh, no, oh, no, what am I going to do? Oh, yeah, there's a way to fill that need, Right? And we do it with everything. We have our phones right there. If you have a question, if you need to figure out some information, we try to make it so that gap is as short as possible so you never have to experience the sensation of feeling needy. You just have your phone right there. And if you don't, you might start to feel this panic that comes in that gap. Or maybe you've just learned kind of to erase needs. It's hard to think of a time you felt needy because you've learned the needs that I can meet for myself, I'll take care of, and the needs where I would want to invite someone else into, I'd just rather not deal with. I'd rather repress, no matter the cost, right? Feeling needy and being needy, these are human experiences. And even if you can't think of the last time you felt needy, I know for a fact that every single person in this room has not, over, not only been needy, but you've felt needy. And I know that because that's how you came into the world. You came in and as a newborn baby, being and feeling needy, right? And this is how I know for sure that Jesus has also been and also has felt the experience of feeling needy because he too came into the world as a newborn baby, right? That's our scripture today, Luke 2. And the verse I want us to look at, it's so easy to just kind of blow by it, but verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. We miss it so many times. It's so easy to like hear all the other context of everything else going on. But right there in verse 7, Mary gave birth to a newborn baby, and that newborn baby 
was Jesus. And that newborn baby, because of what a newborn baby is, felt needy and was needy. That's the experience of which we come into the world. With Jesus, we kind of like spin it a little bit. So like if you picture for a second in your head, baby Jesus, try to get that picture. I Googled baby Jesus and here are some images I found. Baby Jesus. <laughs> yeah, look, there's baby Jesus, a little creepy up here in the left, definitely creepy in the center. The other two cartoon ones, I think that's kind of the sense that we have of baby Jesus. And let me just tell you, this is not what a newborn baby looks like at all. And I'm, wait, don't show the slide yet. I'm about to show some pictures of a newborn baby. And I want to warn you, I had to ask someone if it was okay to share these because newborn babies are so horrific to look at <laughs> that I was concerned some of you might want to close your eyes. So this is your warning. Close your eyes if you don't want to see what a newborn baby looks like. Newborn babies look like this. Guys, this is horrible. <laughs> but that's what a newborn baby looks like. And newborn babies are needy. If you show, throw up the next slide, these are some things that are essential for a newborn baby. The first minute the newborn baby is born, cord clamping, thorough drying, assessment of breathing, thermal care, stimulation. You've got to position the head and neck to open the airway. You've got to clear secretions from the airway if needed. For those of you in here who gave birth, you probably didn't do most of these things because you had a trained professional around you to do it for you. You didn't notice how desperately needy that baby was when it came into the world, that if someone didn't intervene, it would not survive. Babies come into the world needy. And emotionally, we know that at birth, infants are like incapable of differentiating emotions, like the key emotions like fear and anger and sadness. They all get grouped together as this unpleasant sensation. They don't yet know how to categorize them. So when a baby comes into the world, they are feeling all this feeling and they have no way to regulate. They can't identify even what the sensation is. They just have an overwhelming sensation of need. And they make this sound, right, they cry. And that cry is not like, cool, now we know they're healthy, right? The cry is there because it's the only tool, the only tool that a baby has to help get their needs met. They don't have words, they don't have resources, they can't do anything except this protest behavior, which is what crying is. It's this attempt to get someone to intervene. It's this cry for help. It's the cry of neediness. The first human emotion is this overwhelming sense of need and this overwhelming gap why isn't someone making this better right now? Where did all that warmth and comfort and automatic food and now I have to breathe? Like, what is happening? Someone help me, right? That's what they're feeling. And Jesus entered the world just like us, just like all of us, at the pinnacle of this human experience of need. The moment in all of the human experience where you will be the most needy. Jesus entered the world in that same sensation. And... He didn't just enter the world in a uniquely vulnerable moment, a universally vulnerable moment. He entered a uniquely vulnerable world, okay? He didn't just enter in the most unique, I mean, I'm sorry, the most vulnerable moment a baby can have, right? A human can have is this baby moment. He also entered a world that was uniquely vulnerable, okay? Because maybe if you're a parent in here, you know that no matter how perfect the situation is, no matter how many resources you have, no matter how much help you have, no matter how safe you feel, you can't like constantly be there to meet every need your baby has. They're going to feel that gap because you have to sleep and you have to eat and you have to not go insane. And because of that, there's gonna be this gap sometimes for the baby. But Jesus, he didn't enter the world with average parents kind of navigating this insane thing of having a newborn baby. 
he, he came to parents who were navigating a lot more than just that, right? Let's look at what's going on for Mary and Joseph and why they may not have been able to just like stand over their baby and coo like the video we saw. First up, we know that Mary's young, teenager, so she's got that going for her. Uh, when Abby read the scripture, I don't know if you noticed, but just convenient timing, there's gonna be a census. So Joseph and Mary have to get on, a, we presume, a donkey and travel 80 miles. So I know we have a few people in here who are very pregnant and are very uncomfortable, and can you imagine getting on a donkey and traveling 80 miles in that condition? That also means they're not with their family, they're not with their friends, they're giving birth for the first time and there's nobody there who knows how to help them with this, right? They get there, they don't have like a doctor they can go to or a midwife who's gonna help with this birthing process. They actually don't even have a hotel room. They don't even have a place to stay. Like, I know we blow through this story because we play it out with little kids in a nativity scene, but this is real. This is someone's real life. And this is what they're having to deal with. They don't have any place to give birth and then I presume it's a fairly traumatic birth because there's no one there to help them and all those things I listed like cord clamping and like clearing airways. You've got this teenage girl who's never given birth before navigating with her husband, right? Or with Joseph. And then right after that traumatic birth, it says this. An angel of the Lord, this is in Matthew, it says an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, and he took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Can you imagine what this is like as a parent? Like, first of all, you've just traveled this incredible distance and had this incredibly traumatic birth experience, and then now you hear the news that someone's trying to kill your son. Like, the fear, the panic. And then on top of that, now there's going to be a genocide because of that. So you're, you're dealing with that and the psychological burden and the weight of your role in that. It's overwhelming. And, and, and what we saw in that first video, that mirroring and marking, that kind of soothing that happens when you look over a baby, that happens when a caregiver feels safe. That happens when they're not traumatized. That happens when they're sleeping, right? No matter how much Mary and Joseph loved Jesus, and I'm sure it was the maximum capacity of love that a human has, they are just two people in a broken world who were not able to stand there and meet every single need that baby has. Jesus didn't just come into the world as a needy human. He came into like a really broken, really chaotic, really hard time as a needy human. So he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be needy and he knows what it's like to feel needy and he knows what it's like in that gap when the feelings are like so overwhelming that you can't even differentiate them, you can't even break them apart. And he knows how it feels to sit alone in that feeling and wait for someone to come and help him and just be in that sensation. He knows that feeling. And I think we do ourselves a little bit of a disservice when we like idealize the birth of Jesus. You know, when we like make those pictures like the ones we saw and like, dress our kids up, even though, please don't get me wrong, please dress your kids up on Christmas Eve. I love it so much. But when we romanticize that idea of being born in a stable, I think the disservice that we do is we miss out on a mirroring God 
Like when we see pictures like that, when we paint the nativity scene the way we do, we unconsciously communicate to ourselves that Jesus doesn't know what it's like down here. That sure, he came like a man, but look at what his birth story was like. It's beautiful. There's shiny lights everywhere. People are singing carols. It's a silent night. No one's crying, right? There's no need. There's no screaming mother in labor. Wait, we unconsciously rob ourselves of a mirroring God. You know that feeling that you have when you like scroll through Instagram or sometimes this year you get all these like Christmas cards in the mail and you see this like perfect family after one after another. You know that feeling that you sometimes have of like, oh gosh, I didn't get my Christmas cards out or our family doesn't look like that or I don't have a family. That sensation of isolation and shame and you know the truth, right? You know everybody well enough to know that it's a myth like the shiny, happy family on Instagram, you know, the minutes before that picture was taken, like kids were screaming, people were throwing punches. You know that it was a stressful moment for that family to get to that point. But no matter how much you know that, when that's what you see mirrored back to you over and over and over again, when you don't see your experience, when you don't see how it feels for you to be a human mirrored back to you, you start to unconsciously feel this isolation and shame. Right, that's the function of mirroring. There's a, a book on attachment and a psychoanalyst named Mary Ayers talks about the consequence if you're not mirrored accurate, accurately, if that doesn't happen adequately for a child. The primary thing is the sense of shame. The sense of shame becomes conflated and incorporated into the developing sense of self. And it provides an unrecognized core around which the personality is formed. It's not normally available to conscious thought. No one in here is like thinking about this sensation, but you have this somehow this unconscious felt sense of being unlovable or somehow defective. Man, isn't that a little bit somehow, sometimes how you feel when you're scrolling through Instagram? Like, what did I do that, that means my family can't look like that? What, what did I do in this marriage or what did I do that I can't have children or what do I do that I, I, didn't ha I don't have a partner? Like what's wrong with me that I don't look like that? There's this unconscious feeling of shame. And isn't there sometimes that feeling with God? You go to him, you draw near, hopeful to find grace and mercy in time of trouble and sometimes you can't even name it, you can't even recognize it, but there's this sense of shame. Like what is wrong with me that I am still feeling like this? What is wrong with me that I feel so much pain or confusion or chaos in the miracle of Advent? The miracle when we look at that manger is a needy, screaming baby coming into the world full of need so that you would know in the deepest part of you that's part of being human, even for God. Even for God, that's part of what it means to be a human. Jesus came to be as needy as we all have been. And then somehow he opted also for this chaotic, like terrifying, traumatic situation that he entered into because he wanted to be made like us in every respect. He wanted to experience neediness to the maximum. And he didn't need to do that, right? He didn't need to do that. This is the craziest thing about Advent for me. Jesus did need to become like a man in order to save you. He did need to live this human life in order to be able to advocate for you to the Father. But he didn't have to have the maximum sensation of neediness. He didn't have to set it up this way. He could have been born to parents who had some resources. Right? We know there's this prophecy that has to be fulfilled, so he has to go to Bethlehem. Well, God could have picked parents for Jesus that lived in Bethlehem 
Or he could have made it so that when he got to Bethlehem, it's still going to be needy because all humans are needy. But, but he had like a doctor, family around to help Mary learn how to swaddle. Like it didn't have to be like this. Jesus wanted it to be like this so that you, whatever experience you have as a human, every single one, including the one of being needy, when you sit in that sensation, he could sit there with you and not lecture you about how to get out of it, not give you tips and tricks, but like that Papacito's moment, tell you like, yeah, I know how it feels. You're not alone in this sensation, right? We have a marking God who can interrupt our experiences, who can help us move forward. And then we have a mirroring God, right, who is able to stand with us inside those experiences. Uh, This Advent idea, this idea of God with us, I first started thinking about it, I think, in one of the neediest seasons of my life. I um, was just going through some, some things, a few things. It was very traumatic and very stressful, and I couldn't even tell you, like, I feel like I've been through different things, had different emotional experiences. This is not that moment, but it could be. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I meant to cut that slide. It was a darling, but that's me as Mary um, in a trash bag. <laughs> yeah, so in a different moment than that one, although equally as needy, I, um, I was just, it wasn't even, I couldn't even categorize an emotion for you. It was like they were all so overwhelming and consuming that I just felt so in need of something, and I didn't even know what it was. I felt panicked. I felt overwhelmed. I felt like I was going crazy. It was just a really, really hard time. And I remember I would sit on the phone with friends, and they would, I could hear them, like, wrapping up the call. And I would have this feeling of, like, oh, my gosh, I need more. I need them to stay on the phone a little bit longer. And I would go to bed at night, and I remember the feeling of, like, I need someone to be able to come in here with me. And have all those great truths, like all those great amazing things that people could speak over you, like the marking God. Like, it's okay, God's not going to leave you, you're not alone. But there's like this inner teenager in me, right, that's like, I don't want the marking if it doesn't come with the mirroring. Like when people say things like that to me, I'm like, you have no idea what I'm experiencing. You have no idea how it feels. I, I want the mirroring as well. And I remember in this season... I would lay in bed at night, and I would lay on my side, and I'd put my hand out like this, and I could imagine Jesus, like, putting his hand in my hand. And unlike everybody else, he wasn't, like, telling me, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. He would just start telling me the stories of different moments where he'd felt what I was feeling. And I would ask him about it. I know this sounds weird, imagining all this. He wasn't real (laughs) there, in person. But he would lay there with me, and I would say, tell me what it felt like to be needy. Tell me what it felt like the night before you're about to die when you were overwhelmed to the point of sweating blood, and all you wanted was a friend to stay awake with you and pray with you. Tell me what it felt like to have to ask them twice to come back and find your friend sleeping and have to say again, how how needy did you feel in that moment when you had to say, guys, can you pray with me? And Jesus would just tell me these stories about these moments of feeling needy, of sharing in that experience with me. And we would fall asleep like that. There was no pivot in the talk, no conversation about, okay, and because of that, you're going to do this tomorrow. It was just me and Jesus, and it was like that Papacito's feeling, and I would fall asleep listening to him tell me stories of how he'd felt the feelings I was having. And it was this freedom from isolation and this freedom from aloneness And it is 
the sweetest, most tender thing I've ever experienced of Jesus. There's so many reasons that I believe in this God that we talk about, and there's so many reasons I want to live a life like Jesus. But this, this is Advent. This is my favorite thing. This is the one thing that has no other function. He didn't do it to accomplish anything else except to be with you, except to be with you in those moments so you don't have to do it alone. And whatever you're experiencing today, whatever need you have, whatever feeling that feels so overwhelming and you just need someone to help, he's felt that feeling. And I want you guys now to just take a second and shut your eyes, bow your heads. And if you could identify earlier that feeling of feeling needy, try to tap into it, what it feels like. And try to just for a second search your heart and see Is there part of you, a small child part inside of you that has a need that you've just pushed so far down deep because you don't like the feeling of feeling needy? And just come. Come to your great high priest. Go before him, confidently knowing you're not going to find someone who's going to lecture you or tell you answers, not right now, you're just gonna find a great high priest who knows what it feels like. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.